You're listening to Kurakas, a podcast for artists and creatives to get advice on the business of the arts from renowned Zimbabwean experts in their respective fields. Funded through the Scripts and Bars project by K Media Africa, supported by the British Council in partnership with Swiss Agency for Development and Cooperation, SDC, hosted by the Kura Agency team. In this episode, we talk to Managing Director of Point Black, a digital content and marketing agency, and one half of the Two Broke Twimbles podcast, Phil Chard, about effective collaboration. We talk about his experience putting together the Pungwe sessions. We take a dive into the music business in Zimbabwe, and he plugs us on some resources where we can learn about the music business. Okay, this is Phil Chard. Let's take it away. All right. Hello, everyone. I hope you are well out there. First time caller. Uh, my name is Phil Chart. I am currently the managing director of Point Black. Um, we're a digital agency um, that focuses mainly on developing digital campaigns and also operate, offering label services to artists. Uh, we've been operational for five years now. And my background is I started off as a marketer um, doing business to business and business to consumer sales. And then I was also a podcaster and a blogger. I ran the African hip hop blog for eight years. Uh, during that time, we became one of the biggest music blogs on the continent, uh, won a couple of awards. Uh, we also released the 25 to Life project. And then I also started Two Broke Twimbos, which is currently one of the biggest podcasts in the country. And also working with artists um, from a managerial perspective, from consulting helping them develop marketing strategies, rollout strategies, and then now advising them on making sure that they're managing and exploiting their intellectual property as needed to make sure that they don't die broke, basically. That's exciting. How's, how's been that um, managerial journey? Um, it's been interesting. I mean, <clears throat> the biggest headache, and it still exists today, is I've struggled to see how the entertainment slash music industry can scale in Zimbabwe. I think outside of the socioeconomic issues, we've had a lot of big um, wrecking balls, uh, to put it lightly. Um, There's one one of them being like, um, and there was an academic paper done about this um, based on one of the interviews we did with Sunny Makalema, which is just the 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 impact that Operation Murambachina had on the music industry, which a lot of people don't really recognize and understand. But as the world was shifting towards digital downloads, um, and then CD retailing was starting to taper off a little bit, and shop space was becoming increasingly more expensive, and the economy was on a downslide. Um, artists relied heavily on flea markets to distribute their music. And they were a very profitable channel for distribution up until Murambachina, which pretty much destroyed all that. So for the past 15 years onwards, you have a generation of music consumers who have been trained to not purchase music, but to download it illegally. And that has had massive knock-on effects for the artists, for example. So <clears throat> when... And, and that's difficult because you, you now have a situation where we're in a small country. 
our sound hasn't been exported as well as it could be. Um, locally, artists are limited to just live shows for revenue, but because the e- the economy is so constrained and it's and government and tax implications and so forth make running events and venues so costly and so prohibitive and so high risk. Very few people can afford to become promoters in that space. There's not a lot of performance venues. So it's very difficult to grow an industry. It's, it's, it's literally a, a very constrained market. So with all those headaches, I've, I've now also been trying to figure out, okay, how do we do that and how can we scale? So the plan has always been to do corporate work with the agency and then um, basically diver- divert resources towards investigating and understanding the music industry up until a point we can start putting real capital investment into it and then scaling it upwards. But before we do that, we then have to figure out, okay, where is the money? How can it's how can we justify an investment not only for ourselves but if an investor comes to us and there are people that are very interested in investing in the arts if they come to us and they say hey i've got x amount of dollars can you guarantee a return on investment if i were to invest in the arts or invest in an artist or so forth that data isn't readily available simply because we don't have a functional music industry um so I've taken it upon myself to study that. So part of it has been going back to school and um, doing a music business management uh, course at the Academy of Sound Engineering in Johannesburg and then obviously online and then also placing myself in spaces where I can learn, I can um, offer my my information but also feed off others and understand what's, what's working in other African markets. What can we borrow from here? How can we incorporate? Um, so yeah, that's pretty much what I've been doing. Um, and then the Punga sessions was part of that as well. It was figuring out, okay, practically I, I know how to put a, a project together. So let's put this project together and let's, let's have a baseline. Let's see if we put a project together with a fixed budget, what can we produce and how far can it go? So that if someone does come asking, or even if we want to invest more into it, we, we at least know, okay, last time there was a project with this budget, we did X amount. This is, these are the mistakes we made. If we fix these mistakes and we address these issues, we, we probably can't do X more. So that's our starting point. Yeah. All right. We'll, we'll go deeper into Pungwe a little bit um, later. But just to like reflect on some of the things that you had mentioned, we, I do agree that it's become a little bit diff. It's actually quite difficult to like monetize the music industry within the country. And it's not like there aren't people who are willing to like collaborate with the artists the um, corporates are there there are some individuals that are willing to like put money into it so that you know they could there is that opportunity but then getting to capitalize it like you said is a little bit difficult would you say that it's mostly like an economics situation or it's us not being like exposed to enough of the innovation to be able to capture some of that data and make it available and be able to like properly give that value to the corporate um i i think there's there's a lot of factors so i think uh, the, f- the first thing is for example like with with corporates and I, i'm definitely not um trying to cast aspersions or be shady um nor am i bitter in any way because i work with these people on a day-to-day and that's part of the thing. Like I develop campaigns for corporates. I run campaigns with them. 
a, a corporate's goal, their main mandate, even if it falls under their corporate social responsibility, is to make sure that they are a profitable enterprise. Under those auspices, whenever they are partnering with an artist, it's because that artist is going to allow them to increase their profitability. So artists are a means to an end. Artists are no different than a contractor, right? So artists should not look at corporates as the saviors, nor will corporates in Zimbabwe particularly, nor is it very likely that they are ever going to offer you any significant amount of money that's going to change your life or take your career to the next level. At the very least, hopefully what they will do is allow you to not worry about rent for, for that month or, or however many months you're working with them. Um, and sadly, that's about as far as it's going to go. They're either going to give you free product uh, or free access to whatever services they offer, or they, they're going to give you a small stipend that's not really going to change your life but at least it's going to take the headache of, yo, where am I going to pay rent from? Where am I going to buy groceries from this month? But it's really not going to do it. So in that respect, whenever you're working with corporates, um, I, I think it's really important that artists realize that when you're working with a corporate, approach it that way. Approach them like, okay, these guys are here to help me wor worry less about living expenses and focus on my music for the time that I'm working with them. Um, don't ever receive a check from a corporate and go out and and, and splurge heavy because, <laughs> trust me, that money is going to disappear quickly. Um, and if you are at the level where a corporate is paying the big, 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 big bucks for, you, uh, for your name and likeness, you're probably already making similar or more than that on your live shows anyway. So it's... It, 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 it's um, it's a chicken and egg situation almost where if if you need the corporate more than they need you it's going to show in how much they are compensating you for your for your your brand um then the second thing is i think that there's there's a wealth of opportunities i just think um because of the music industry collapsing um with the e economy collapsing all the skilled uh Zimbabweans in the music industry left. Um, and if you look across the globe, there are skilled Zimbabweans at, in all facets of the music industry, from production, from filmmaking, vocalists, music directors, show directors, um, in industry professionals, throughout all of them, and they, they all left. So there's just this massive um, skills knowledge gap. So now you've got an economy that's collapsing. You've got all the people who know how to make it or even have the understanding of evolving or developing. They've left. You don't really have tertiary institutions offering practical um, guidance. I do see that MSU just started a, a music program. I'm yet to, to take a deep look at the curriculum. Um, but outside of that, like you'll struggle to find, outside of that, a music theory courses. So. And music theory and the music business are two very, very, very different things. There, there, there just isn't anyone addressing that. And then you have institutions that aren't operating in the best interests of artists, nor are the artists holding them accountable for them to do their job. Like one but of the biggest headaches I have... Is, is that the artist's job to like hold them accountable or there should be like an sort of like a union body for them? 
that actually works towards that because all things being constant it's an industry and all of us should be like working together and pulling together towards trying to make it grow and work so let me put it to you let, let, let me put it to you uh, um, in another example and you you mentioned a union so if i'm a mine worker and i go to work every day i'm risking my life in those mines every day i realize hey i'm risking my life i feel i'm underpaid I speak to my coworker. We realize, yeah, you know what? We actually are underpaid. We're, we're seeing how much this company is making. We don't feel we're being equitably remunerated. What do we do? We then do some form of a mass unionization, form some sort of workers' union, and then the workers' union then says, okay, we're going to use collective bargaining to fight on your behalf. We're going to take a little bit out of your paycheck every month so that we can operate. And in return, we're going to do our best to increase your salary, increase your benefits, etc., etc. The, the music industry, it's very convoluted uh, in the way it operates, but there is a parallel to that in the music industry. Those are what we call collective management organizations. One of the main reasons collective management organizations exist is they have collective bargaining. So an artist, for example, you can't go to the UK and then negotiate with every radio station in the UK and say, if you play my song, this is how much I want. You can't go to Apple, Spotify, YouTube, Tidal, and say, for every time my song is played or downloaded, these are the stream rates I'm entitled to. That is what collective management organizations do within the, within the bodies that they formed. However, if you are not actively participating in those unions or those collective management organizations, A, how do they know what they should be bargaining for? And B, how do they know they are representing the interest of their members and constituents? So the issue we have is if people, A, don't understand what in, in Zimbabwe now, let's be, uh, to use, to be frank, Zimura, if they don't understand what Zimura is supposed to do for them and they are not members of Zimura. They are not actively participating in the meetings. They are not reading the reports. How can they actively raise concerns? It's the same thing as now. There's a massive drive for people to register to vote. And one of the reasons people say, if you don't register to vote, you, you have no right to complain because you are given an opportunity to participate in the democratic process. And if you don't take that opportunity, whatever happens, it's partly your fault because you did not vote. So in this case, um, would you be able to know why a lot of like artists may not be aware of the presence effects and like what Zimura is supposed to do and why they don't participate as much as they should? Um, I, I think firstly, I, I don't want to single out Zimbabwean artists because trust me, this is actually a global thing. And globally, artists don't know because it's very it's very confusing, very convoluted. Being, being an artist is one of the few professions where not only do you have to be proficient in the discipline itself, but you have to be proficient in the business of the discipline. That is, that's not common across businesses. If I wanted to be an accountant ever since I was a child and I dedicated my life to being the best accountant ever, and I, I went to university, I then went got, in, got my articles, and I became a certified uh, chartered accountant, and then someone was like, oh yeah, you're, you're a good chartered accountant. Now figure out the business of being a chartered accountant as well, which is a completely different thing. I would be, anyone would be thrown for a loop. And that's the issue with the arts is artists have to be good artists 
but then they also have to understand the business admin side or be able to execute the business admin side, which is a lot to ask of anyone. So, and then it's the incentives. Everyone is going to be re reduced to, across the globe, the most immediate source of revenue as an artist is live performances. So everyone is going to focus on live performances. When things shifted to downloads, that meant that people started focusing less on paid sales of their music because it was a race to the bottom. You started giving your music away for free on the hope and the expectation that the more people that listen to my music, the more people that are going to enjoy my music, the more people that are going to come to the live performance. And that's how I'm going to pay my bills. But that's a very short-term way of thinking. <coughs> because if your catalog is not protected, it's been given away for free, and you've trained your artists to never pay for your music, you can, it's very difficult to then change that behavior and say, hey guys, please pay for my music, right? Which is also, and it also becomes inconvenient, which is why streaming platforms, one of the benefits of streaming platforms uh, in recent years and why they've become so prolific is it's really convenient to have all of, or the majority of the world's music on one platform. I don't, I don't have to download anymore. I don't have to buy an iTunes and then connect my iPod or connect my iPhone and sync it so I can transfer the latest songs to my phone. Or I don't have to, wherever I was buying my music, download it and then go in and make sure that I update the metadata and then connect my phone and then transfer it and then create playlists or create br or burn CDs. It's just really convenient, right? And that's the benefit of it. Looking into that, because um, there's now this whole case of um, an artist can't, well, it's, it's, it's a lot to ask for the, for the artist to be able to do both, you know, do the art and do the business of the art. So probably what we also need to be looking at is um, building the industry around it. So like creating people who can then be able to assist with the business side of things. Like, don't we now need to, like, figure out, like, if we're going to be training lawyers, then we can be able to have a section of the lawyers that can concentrate on the legal side of the arts industry. If we're going to be then working with accountants, we can work with a um, specific section of accounting that can be able to um, account and be able to sort out the money side and how things are paid and how things are accounted for on that side. Yes, but once again, it's about incentive. So in the same way that artists are, are focused on their next paycheck, so is everyone else. So a lawyer, for example, even if I'm an intellectual property lawyer, for me to understand the intricacies of the music industry, that's going to take time and effort and in some instances money because I, I'll need to study these specific disciplines. Um, an, an intellectual property lawyer and a music business lawyer are two very different things, or even an entertainment lawyer are two very different things. And even in my short time with doing this, I've come across some terrible lawyers who on paper are skilled but don't fully understand the music industry and are costing their clients a lot of money or have ruined the careers of a lot of clients. And it's, it's unbeknownst to the client. So, and that goes across the board. So, yes, there needs to be a crop of trained professionals, but it's, it's going to take... A, a whole cohort of people sacrificing and saying, uh, yo, this is what I'm going to do and, and dedicate my time to and study. I had the benefit and the privilege of being able to do it because my 
throughout my, my life, my education and experience within the music industry was subsidized because I had money coming in other ways. Not everyone had that privilege. Like when I was running the blog, and the blog was never r run to make money, um, it was actually costing me a lot of money, and, and it was costing my partners, Ross and Twambo, a lot of money. But we all had that benefit and privilege because we all had other jobs. And this was something we were passionate about. So we were like, yo, we love this thing. Let's just let's, let's let it grow. Let's see what it can do. And for all of us, it paid off in the long run because like Twambo now runs Vesani in, in Zambia, which is the biggest distribution platform there. And they just had a, a, a big deal with MTN. Ross now works for one of the biggest music um, licensing companies in the world. Um, I am have the privilege of working from Zimbabwe, the greatest country ever. So that's that was the the selling for us, right? But how how many people have that right? How many people have that privilege? Um, and without, frankly, kids with the finances or people with the finances and the passion dedicating themselves to this, the industry is not going to grow. Um, and the closest example we have to that is is Nigeria. Without the Yahoo boys, Afrobeats would not be what it is today. So I'm, I'm not going to discuss the moralities of, of how those guys got their money or, or what they did, but factually, without the Yahoo boys propping up Afrobeats artists and supporting them and ensuring that they were making the best music and releasing a lot of music and they l were able to learn from their mista mistakes, Afrobeats would not be what it is today. So who are going to be those investors and funders in Zimbabwe? Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is, which would be quite the difficult situation and by all means also very difficult thing to tackle because like you're mentioning, it's not just the situation of trying to get the right people to actually do it, but it's the right people who have the interest and probably their own resources at the moment. But isn't that also because currently there isn't some sort of support structure to be able to support those people who want to um, be on the business side of music? Yeah, but I think we have, if we're being practical, there's no support structure, so then what are we going to do? Um, so that's where the solutions come to be. We can't just throw our hands up and be like, oh, there's no support structure, so and then so we just give up. There's two ways to go about it. Either we lob lobby government and we lobby the existing um, institutions to support us, but those existing institutions and government are going to say, okay, what is your guys' contribution to GDP? That's another issue we have, is if you were to go to the Minister of Arts right now, granted, they, they might see the importance of arts and culture, but as a music industry, what figures can we present to them and say, hey guys, the music industry contributed X amount to GDP. So when you look across the globe, they, 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 there's actually a report that correlates the, the contribution of music to the GDP versus the quality of the art versus the, the general state of the economy. There's, there's, a, there's a close correlation between that. Um, how can we then lobby government and say, you need to change A, B, C, D for our benefit? Government's going to be like, okay, how are you guys improving the lives of not only people in the arts industry, but just general Zimbabweans? And how much are you guys contributing to the tax base? Which is why it's important that artists understand not only the business, but their responsibilities. If you are contributing to CMOs, if you have 
set up your car, your, your company, you're, you're filing your, your QPDs, your quarterly, um, what does QPD stand for again? Quarterly pay. example, booked for gigs. Whenever you're being hired by um, corporates, you have invoices and a paper trail. It's very easy for you to say, hey guys, I generated $50,000 last year as an artist. I paid X amount of people as staff members. These are my contributions to Zimra. These are my contributions to NASA. These are my contributions to the various bodies that I am obligated to as a business owner. Now, I am paying my taxes and contributing to the fiscus of the economy. How am I seeing value for my dollar? Now you have leverage. Now you have bargaining power. But that only works if, if artists unify and go together. And if artists are doing the right things. So that means artists need to not only approach their music as a business, but handle it as a business. And that's just one facet. That's just live performances. How are you guys making sure that you're collecting all your royalties on, on your publishing? How are you making sure that there's a massive um, influx of African content being made? There's a great demand for songs to be placed against that content. When music supervisors who work for Netflix or Showmax or any other platform are looking for music, and they are looking for Zimbabwean music, when they come asking and they say, hey, which songs can we license? The first thing that they're going to ask for is show me the agreement and show me your split sheets. How many artists have those agreements and split sheets ready? So stuff like that, making sure that you don't release a song without split seats being signed. Because without that, you can't fully monetize your art. Even with developed economies and developed artists, their mechanical and publishing royalties are not going to be breakaway or life-changing amounts of money unless there's like licensing or sync deals in place. But the only way you can get those licensing and sync deals is making sure the song's a hit or it's a great song and your paperwork is in order. So stuff like that. Artists need to start figuring out how to do that. And the only way to do it is to teach themselves. As we stand, there's a wealth of information online. Um, I'm working on a bunch of programs to educate artists as well, specifically for the Zimbabwean and African context, because there are things that work overseas that just don't work here. But even within that, artists have to take the initiative to learn. They have to take the initiative to start reading contracts asking questions, figuring out, okay, this contract says ABC. What, is, what do these terms mean? And then they can start lobbying. So a good start right now for artists would be just to make sure that I can track back what I've made from who at what point. So treat myself as a business, register myself, whether if it's a PBC or what, what, what is the actually appropriate legal entity they can registered themselves as in Zimbabwe? Is it a PBC? Is, is there anything else that isn't like a company related? Or it's, those I, are the ones they should be? I would say, um, well, granted, I, I'm, I'm in no way uh, a business consultant. Um, so take my, my, my information with a grain of salt. But what I would, what I, what I would advise anyone is just register a privately limited entity um, if you want to self-publish and you want to self-administer, which is always advisable, and then you can always license your work to someone else. So if if my name is DJ Mkarad, for example, I'm going to just say DJ Mkarad Private Limited. I'm registering that with, with Zimura. I've, I've now operated that. Um, I'll go to a bank and register a bank account. And then that will allow me to um, separate myself from the business but also operate as a business. So 
I can start sending invoices out. I can start making sure that um, I grant my company the right to administer my publishing. And then whether I decide to self-publish or to sign an administration deal with the publisher, I already know I control that. Okay. So you had mentioned that they are like companies such as Netflix and other um, international operators that are looking for African content. How difficult is it like for me as a Zimbabwean artist for me to collaborate and get in touch with those and be involved in those kind of spaces so that I can be recognized and also get my music there? How difficult is it to collaborate internationally? If you if you're doing the basics, it's really easy. It's 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 re- it's really really easy. Um, if you if you've got your your work in place, for the most part, the world is so um, open right now. If you if you if you drop a song, let me for example, there, there's someone in America right now who's tracking the numbers Brian Jack and, and Fire Emoji are doing. Because they're seeing what's going on, right? So there are people whose job it is to, to monitor these trends and they already know what's going on. So if you are doing things right, as in you're releasing music, your your social media presence is on point, you have a unified bio, um, you, your brand presence is okay, you've claimed your, your artist pages on all the platforms, if you've done all that already, there's a very high likelihood that they're going to come knocking at your door already. Then on top of that, if you're doing the basics, it's it's now just a matter of understanding, okay, I now want to get my music all that, hit on LinkedIn, do a search, and then even if it means cold emailing and just saying, hey, um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an artist from Kura, Kura Agency. This, these are links to my work. This is my bio. Please consider me for any any music that you might need in the future. Bam. There's there's a high likelihood that at the very least, they'll if now you you're doing that, and on top of that you're running a business and you've you you've started putting money aside, you're gonna start performing. You're gonna start touring. You're gonna start applying to to showcases at different festivals. Or you might even just have money and you're like, you know what? I need to travel to Joburg and just network in Joburg. And you can start connecting with the people in Joburg and building your relationships there. If you start doing that step by step, stage by stage, you, the opportunities will fall because at the end of the day, across the spectrum, whether it's someone working for a small company that needs a jingle for the, the, a, a new brand of peanut butter, or it's these large agencies, all the people working there are just looking for stuff that meets the mandate of their job but also makes their life easier. The easier you make someone's life, especially if they're, if they're doing their job, and as opposed to having to file 15 different pieces of paperwork, they're just filing one, oh, they're going to go with the one, nine times out of ten. So make their jobs easy. Makes sense. Um, now I want to touch on having to like collaborate locally, and this is where I now want us to... like dive into your experience when you were working on Pungwe Sessions. First of all, with Pungwe Sessions, how did that come about? Like, what was the idea behind it, the thinking? What made what made you guys start? Um, so I first met Rhymes. Whew, it's been a while. I think it's like 
12, 10, 12 years ago. I did an interview with him, actually. Um, this was when he was just breaking out onto the scene. He had just started, um, he'd done a, a few songs with Tiny Temper. He had done, I think, one song with, with Wiley and with Chipmunk. So he was starting to get a name for himself in the UK. And he was like, yo, dude, I actually want to do a project with Zimbabwean artists. I'm going to be home for the holidays. What can we get done? And then he just sent me a folder full of beats. Um, and because I, this has always been a passion of mine. This is stuff I'd, I've been doing, but very haphazardly. It wasn't something serious. Even like um, with the 25 to Life mixtape, I, I wasn't really involved in it. So I, I just saw Ross and Sub Z at the time like doing it. And I, and I was on the outside looking in. I'd been working with a few rappers like Technique, um, but it was also a very different process because Technique was a machine. Like he'd literally just write like three songs a day, every day. Um, so it was something I was always interested in, and I, and I knew how to get it done. I had I had relationships with the artists, I had relationships with the producers, I had relationships with studios. So with that, I just started, you know, and I also had a pretty big platform. So I started just sending out beats and 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 soliciting collaborations, and we got a, a bunch of responses. And then quickly I realized if you want to make a, a good product artistically, it costs a lot of money. Um, and when we went into it, there was no, there was no, excuse me, consideration as to what's the budget, you know, how are we going to execute this? How are we going to get our money back? We were just like, yo, let's, let's make this art. So we never really approached it from a business standpoint and quickly those costs started to pile up. Um, so at the time I was living in Butara, so like every weekend I'm traveling to Arare. Um, the cost of travel, the cost of accommodation. Um, every time we hit the studio, I've got to pick up the artist. I've got to make sure that there's food. You know what I mean? Um, the, then there's the promotional side, making the artwork, pushing the artwork, making sure that we are, we're traveling to radio stations, that type of thing. Slow, like things started piling up quickly and we realized, yo, this is a lot. Um, and then other things happened outside, which I, I don't really want to get into, um, that kind of put a, a dampener on the project and we we're like, okay, we need to just regroup and, and figure this out. But at the time, the, the project was actually quite successful. Um, at the time, um, the first single, Phil Chiangua, was number one on ZFA. and Star FM, I think almost two and a half, three months. Um, the second uh, single, Live It Up, were, was licensed by Dan Derry at the time. So it, it, it was the bed of a lot of ads as well. So it, we had some success. And then we also got placement on like Big Brother. But then I'm also realizing, wait, I haven't registered my work. Wait, how do I register my work? How do I generate an ISRC for this song? How do I make sure that it's available for the public? You know what I mean? How do I distribute? And we started learning these things on the fly. And then we quickly realized, oh, okay, there's a, there's a massive knowledge gap here. So I had to go back and figure out, okay, I've stage one was this. I, I made these mistakes. Let me figure out how to correct these mistakes. Um, and then Rhymes went back to the UK. And obviously his, his, his brand just grew because um, he's a workhorse. So he, his, his popularity and his demand grew exponentially but we'd always like been like we need to come back and do this again we've seen where we've made mistakes let's address those mistakes and let's let's do a version two and then the opportunity for version two came um when zgs uh, had some funding available um and when i spoke to them 
one of the the things that I had mentioned was I do see that the, the investments organizations are making into the arts and helping with albums. The issue is they make songs, which I call songs via brief, where they're like, we're, we're pushing a campaign for a gender-based violence or we're pushing a campaign for voter registration or circumcision or whatever that may be. And then you tell the artist or you dictate to the artist, this is the type of art you should make. And that, by definition, always de uh, reduces the quality of the art. I've, I've, I, I'm yet to be, I'm yet to be proven wrong, or I could be proven wrong, but I'm yet to see a song that was made under those premises become a successful hit. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm more for let's let art be organic. Let's let these artists create organically, and then. Uh, we distribute and then show them how to make money with that. So that was the whole goal. And then the whole goal outside of that was taking the skills that I'd been learning, taking the skills that Rhymes had learned and educating these artists. So um, contracts, split sheets, um, how to administer your publishing, also how to distribute a, a project. So all that went into play. Um, and then with regards to collaboration, the just from experience, and reading, and that's one thing I used to do as a kid. I remember I used to send send someone to either to South Africa or to UK, depending on who was coming down, and I just get them to bring me like double XLs and Source magazines and um, Rolling Stone and Vibe, and the common thread um, across some of the best music that's ever been made that I really loved as a kid was just collaboration. So. In my mind, that had always been the thing, like, if we can just get a group of artists together and just see the magic, um, something's going to happen there. So that was the plan. And Rhymes had seen it himself in the UK. He, he, he literally has a studio in almost in the middle of London. So artists are always coming through there. So at any given time, he might have um, Dachavelli or Stefan Don, and then Future comes in, and then Wizkid comes in, and then... Um, Sneakbow comes in, and then before you know it, you've got these incredible collaborations that weren't planned for, but are very organic. And that's what we were trying to do as well. As you'd expect when you like put people together like this in, in a place, as much as there's that creative, uh, those creative juices that are flowing around and the magic being happening, as you said, there is sometimes a tendency for like some conflict to like to happen. How do you deal with that in those cases? I mean, I mean, I, I think that's more so just human experience and like managerial experience. Um, there's, there's, there's no situation where you're gonna put people, even the close. Like, I'm, I'm sure if you, if you have siblings, and you grew up with them, the, you fought with them. It's just you love them to death, you care about them, but you're gonna fight. So there's always gonna be conflict. So. I'm not averse to that. It, it's it's more so just making sure that understanding that conflict is going to happen. How do you address it, or the, how do you set the baseline? So just the small things like saying, "Yo, we're going to respect each other. We're going to respect each other's space and property," um, and a lot can be done just by doing that. Like if you set the tone for when you enter the studio, this is this is how we're doing it. So like even when we when we did it, we literally had like a small document with the, the rules of the studio. And yo, when you come in here, we're working. 
So people knew that when they were coming to the studio, they were coming to record. They weren't coming to hang out. They weren't coming to, you know, get their social media content or whatever. They were coming to work. And that, that played a big part. And obviously, it also helps that Rhymes has a big name and it, it commands a lot of clout. So a lot of them were more eager or more receptive to listening to his advice. And also understanding that I'm only here for a limited amount of time. Like, Rhymes is only here for a week. I'm only going to be in the studio with him for maybe today or tomorrow. So if I don't maximize this, it's not going to work. And then, yeah, and then us also, because um, we've been in the industry, so um, when we were selecting the artist to be part of the project, it, it was myself and Dan. Um, we, we, we knew the artists we wanted to work with. We have a relationship with some of these artists. So when we sent out the invites, we already knew, okay, these are the artists we have vibes with. These are the artists we have relationships with so that they understand. Like, it was outside of a few, there were very few artists that we were meeting for the first time during those sessions. Um, so there never really was much of a conflict. I think more more of the conflict happened afterwards when we now have to start dealing with with lawyers or, or management, for example, who aren't fully brief or fully understand the value. But outside of that... Um, well, it was pretty typical. I mean, I've I've dealt with far more c conflict when I was a blogger than I did making that album. Right, right. All right. So, Phil, in this particular section, I want us to do a brief exercise. So, from what you've learned in your career in management and all the things that you've learned from doing Pungwa Sessions 1, Pungwa Sessions 2, right now, let's assume we want to sort out uh, producing Pungwa Sessions 2.5. I don't want to say three because yeah, we have, there's a lot to be involved. But assuming we're doing a Pungwa Sessions 2.5, walk me through how we would be able to get that assuming 18-part project done, dusted out, everything from conceptualization to split sheets and distribution. Walk me through that. <laughs> this is this, this is what I charge companies for. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just in, in broad strokes, um, what you what you what you're gonna want to do is um, develop a, a ro project roadmap. So at the uh, whenever we, we do project roadmaps, we always begin with the end in mind. Um, so what do you want this album to be? What are your goals for this project? So if if the goal is let's say like with Punga Sessions too, the, the goal was to just make a really dope collaborative project. And on my board was Chamembe. Chamembe was the, the baseline. I'm like, I want to do better than Chamembe. So that was my goal. Like sonically, I, wa I want a project that's more cohesive and also just more replay value than Chamembe. So... To some people, that's sacrilegious to even compare to, but that, that was my goal, right? You set, you set lofty goals, and then you can achieve that. So that, w that was the goal for that. Then the second thing was just to make sure that we, we learn from our mistakes, but we do the best that we can. So we understood um, what steps needed to be followed, and we also understood that there were, there were, there were going to be situations that we had n not accounted for. And there were multiple situations that we had never accounted for. They're like, oh, snap, I didn't think of this, or I didn't think of that. But that's the value of it. Um, and then once you, once you do the project roadmap, it's then now figuring out what needs to be done in, in which stage. So we always break our projects down into phase. So like, 
um, if I'm looking at the project board for Pungre sessions, in fact, let me bring it up. So I use a project management tool called Monday, um, and it develops like Gantt charts and stuff like that. So, for example, we had the project ideation phase. I'm looking at it now, and then multiple steps within that, and then we've got um, the invitation so like fi figuring out which, which people to, to invite who do you want to be part of the project what dates are going to work um where are you going to record how are you going to address like safety for not only the, the the equipment but men and particularly women um because that, that's, that's that's another major concern that's often overlooked is like how you're going to make sure a woman feels safe if she's coming to the studio because that's something that's people really consider and then after that it's now understanding that especially with creative projects, creating the art is actually the easiest part. Everything after the creation is where the real work begins. So, so how are you going to get this project out to the masses? How are the people who are interested going to access it? How are the people who might be interested in going to access it? How are you going to leverage the resources available to make sure that this thing is, is as widely heard as possible. Then how are you going to account for the artists and how they're going to protect their intellectual property and how are you going to exploit their intellectual property? So, so that goes into how you then structure your contracts. Um, but then also to make sure that the contracts aren't so verbose that they scare the artists or the artists are worried like, hey, what, what am I signing away here? So, <laughs> you know, so so stuff like that. Um, so in the project we had phase one was announcement, phase two was artist selection, phase three was um, recording the documentary, um, phase four was the educational workshops and the preparation, um, stage five was recording. So you can see like just how much planning went before we even started going into the recording stage. Yeah, stage six was mixing and mastering, and then the final stage was the release. So even with the r the release, I'm just looking at some of the steps. So like work like finalizing the track list, making sure that you've arranged the songs in, in a way that flows. That's another thing. Like if you're starting off the, the project on high energy, you've got to maintain that. So tho those are some of the small things that I think a lot of artists don't really consider is what type of journey am I taking my listener on? Um, preparing the artwork, even within that, that was the, the multiple stages within that because um, making sure that every single had artwork, but not only had it the, the square artwork that's needed, but the Instagram stories artwork, the YouTube artwork, the Twitter banner artwork, um, the artwork for, for press, then making sure that there's a timeline sent to the distributor, uh, making sure you have all promo materials, um, making sure that you submit the album at least two months before your final release date so that the distributor can start pitching it to the DSPs. Um, having a release plan and even with that release plan are you which radio stations are you leveraging which bloggers are you leveraging which influencers are you leveraging how are you selling the story why should they care like why should not only the influencers care or the press care but why should the listeners care um developing your marketing plan what's your budget where are you going to activate how are you going to activate are you going to have um, listening sessions are you going to have events that type of thing um making sure that you have the lyrics for each song and you submit the lyrics when you submit the music, having lyric videos available on your YouTube, 
um, making sure that the artist contracts are signed before release so that the last the thing that we'll ne I'll never do is I'll never release a song if there's no paperwork. And that's one thing I've been trying to drum into the artists that we're signing now is they want to rush and release songs. I'm like, okay, where's the paperwork? Oh, we, we haven't done that. All right, so let's go back. Because if you don't set the example, um, it's very easy to, to fall out of it. And then at the end of the day, you're, you're basically making the same mistakes that you're telling people not to make, which is making sure that your paperwork is in, is in check. Um, so yeah, like on the release side, there was just that. So like every stage, we literally had like 10, 10 processes that, um, that, that we had to talk, um, that had to tick off. And then with that, we then designed a Gantt chart, which then gives you timelines. And then we assign, we assign tasks to every person. And then literally every day, just making sure that you're, you're following up on the work that needs to be done. Um, and you're accounting for everything. Awesome. Um, What's the biggest lesson that you learned throughout all the Punga sessions? Art is expensive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to fight with you there. <laughs> That's true. Um, what, what would you say is your favorite collaboration locally and internationally? Are we talking like projects, songs, what? Songs. Um, I mean... I gotta go. I gotta go. Punga music, man. That's one of my favorite songs. <laughs> I mean, just the way that the, that that thing came together. Like M Michael Chunda had been this this young upset. I'd heard like a, f a couple of his songs, and I was really vibing to him. And to me, it, it it actually means a lot to me that one of the first artists of my project is an artist from Mutare, and he's rapping about Zakuva, because that's that's where I grew up. So. And that, that 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 meant a lot to me. And then those are just bars. Like, so funny enough, like even when we were making that album, we knew what we were making. We wanted to make a pop album because we we knew that's what we were doing. Um, we'd made hip hop before, and, we, and like hip hop has the constraints. But Rhymes and I are both hip hop heads, and we're like the rest of the album is for everyone else. This song is for us. So even that beat, choosing that beat, choosing the artist, that was that was us. Like saying, yo, we know these are dope lyricists. Let's get them on. Um, and that's probably the song that I had to tweak the most because um, most of the songs were pretty much done by the time I got to them. So the other, the other thing that I, I, I do when I'm working with artists when I'm making songs is the artist will make the song and I don't impede that creation process and then I'll come in towards the end and then I'll just start like advising them. Okay, you know what? You know, maybe we need a bridge here. Maybe like let's change the beat here. Let's, let's add drums here. Let's do that. So with, with that song, I had to do the most because the verses were in a totally different arrangement. I think there's like a few verses we actually had to chop off. Um, the song didn't even have a chorus. And then guys were like, yo, we need to put a chorus on I'm like, no, you don't. Don't I don't want a chorus on this song. Um, and then I had to go back. And then the last thing we got was actually the skits from Kandoro. And then chopping up that skit and then making it um, the whole hook. And then and even that bridge, like I did, Sidani is my favorite, not only because it's sentimental, but to me, that was a great example of what making an actual song is about. Like, I think a lot of artists are very locked into this. They just get the beat from the producer. They write over that beat. Nothing is really changed or adjusted. So they're not really making a song. Um, with that one, we actually made a song, and it's a song that I love. That, that's that's my ringtone till today. Dope. I see you plugging yourself. I see you. Um, 
let me know of one new upcoming artist I need to keep my eye on. One that's exciting you the most. Locally. Uh, once again, I'll, I'll be plugging myself because uh, we just signed a bunch of new acts. <laughs> um, but um, definitely look out for Hillsy. We've got a lot of stuff coming out this year. Um, I'm really liking um, the stuff that we're doing with Halu. He's a new Afrotech producer. Um, outside of that, I think Nati O actually is one of my favorite. Um, and even even w- within that, definitely not to take credit for his success because Nati's always always been a, an incredible talent. But that also helped showcase the value of collaboration. So Nati O came into the studio and he blew Rhymes away. Rhymes hadn't met him up until that point, and he was like, "Oh my God, this 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 artist is crazy." And then Rhymes started becoming the the biggest advocate for Natio. And back in the UK, Rhymes is in the studio. Stone Boy happens to come to the studio. Rhymes plays him something from Natio. Stone Boy loves it. And then next thing, Stone Boy and Natio are collaborating on the project, on the song that's on his album. So that's something I'm really happy and I'm really proud of. And then seeing how Natio was able to take, like, literally no pun intended the small mustard seed of his talent and then grow it to what he's becoming now and he still has so much more potential but i'm so happy to see him because he has an incredible work ethic um i love what he's doing so definitely natio um i think yeah on the zim side those guys then there's a there's a, a bunch of young zim guys outside zim that are also doing amazing things like cool drink um he he's doing amazing work. A lot of people don't know like he's responsible for some of the biggest on my piano songs. Um Cool Drink has a song with Eddie Sheeran. Um he's doing amazing work. Uh so yeah, there's there's a lot of a lot of guys. So I, I'd say those guys. I'd say like Hilsey, Cool Drink, um, Nati, um Soko Matemai is another one. Yeah. Dope, dope. Um I don't wanna take up too much of your time, just Two more things. What haven't I asked you that I should have? Mm, I think you actually did a really good job. Um, I think the only thing is um, just resources. So if you're a Zimbabwean artist and you want to get your business right, um, head on over to websites like Song Trust. Head on over to websites like Capasso. Head on over to websites like Samro. They have a, a ton of resources. Um, so start there. And whatever you do, sign up, sign up with Zimura, sign up with Samro, sign up with Capasso. When you sign up with Zimura, you make sure that they're collecting for your, your local revenue. When you sign up with Samro, you're collecting for international revenue. When, when you start there, you'll be surprised how much money. And there's enough resources for them to walk you through the process of getting your paperwork in check. It's going to be a lot of work. And the less of it you've done, the more work you're going to have to do to catch up. But trust me. I know of artists who are literally sitting on a house in uncollected royalties. And the other thing is you only get three to five years to collect that royalty. After after those three to five years pass, that money is is, is is sent out to other people. So if you've had a major hit within three in the last three to five years, get that sorted. Awesome. Awesome. Um last thing, where can people get hold of you? Um, I'm, I'm pretty much everywhere. Just search my name, Phil Chard, P-H-I-L-C-H-A-R-D. Um, Twitter, Instagram, um, my website, or check out pointblack.africa. 
Um, I'm currently running the, the music industry incubator with Unplugged. So you can go to musicindustryincubator.com for that. Or just head on over to socials, full chart, um, P Black Africa on on all platforms or pointblack.africa for our website. Hit us up there uh, and we'll point you in the right direction. Excellent. Phil, thank you so much for your time. Like, of all the things that you had mentioned, I'm also going to kindly ask you to send me like links that I can put in the show notes so that people can be able to access them as well. And yeah, man, it's been awesome talking to you. Love the little nuggets that you are dropping. We really, we really appreciate your time. Not a problem, man. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks, Phil. All right, bless. This was Kura Casts, funded through the Scripts and Bars project by K Media Africa, supported by the British Council in partnership with the Swiss Agency for Development and Cooperation, SDC.